perhaps you learned some new skill or maybe you even had the incredible privilege of like inventing something and in your moment of sheer brilliance you either declared aloud or maybe you just whispered it in your head the line this changes everything ever had one of those moments of this changes everything kind of moment I recently ran across a list of the 101 greatest innovations of all time, and every single thing on that list of 101 is this changes everything kind of stuff. You imagine that the people who came up with those things, they would have declared that. Some of them gave their whole lives to the development of the thing that is on that list, some invention or so. This changes everything. And I cherry-pick just a few things from that list that are, in my opinion, some of the biggest and best of the this changes everything. The first one I cherry-picked is this magical little pill called the aspirin. I mean, what a fantastic innovation. And it isn't just for headaches, but think about the use around the world for heart patients, how it helps thin blood, and how many people are alive today because of the innovation of the aspirin. Second on my list is the Atari 2600 gaming system. I mean, really, the Atari 2600 changed everything. I know lots of you won't remember this, but before the Atari 2600, there was kind of like one video game. You remember what it was called? Pong. That's exactly right. I, I had one. And, and, and like the ga- some of you are like, what? That sounds lame. It was. It had this little controller box, it had this little knob on it, it had this wire that went to this little tiny black and white, there were no 50 inch televisions back then in Pong days, and you got to control, imagine this, you got to control these two lines on a screen, and a little ball would go about this fast, and you would hit it, and then it would bounce back here, and then you would try to hit it on... The Atari 2600, though, changed all of that. Software engineers could write software. They'd put it on this magical plastic cartridge that you'd put into your Atari 2600, and voila, you've got asteroids. Whoa, or space invaders. Or a little later, Pac-Man, and you got this paddle wheel. Your Atari 2600, some of you are like, I have no idea. It changed everything, the Atari 2600. Let's get more serious. How about the battery? Like the battery changed everything. Like we're alive because there's batteries. Not really, but let's go way back in history. The bow and arrow made my list. Before the invention of the bow and arrow, you got to throw a spear at whatever it was you wanted to eat for dinner. And that was sort of your limitation. Like you could kill anything you could throw a spear at. But then the bow and arrow introduces mechanical advantage into the hunting process. And voila, you could shoot a little further and you, you got to eat better. Game changer. How about the internal combustion engine? Wow. You all love the internal combustion engine because it got you here today. It's going to get you home, you hope, when we're all done. And some guy, I think, said the internal combustion engine is the greatest threat to humanity ever. But, but we love the internal combustion engine, right? I mean, it changed the game, really. Number six on my list is the mobile telephone, right? The mobile telephone. Lots and lots of you are of an age that you do not remember a time 
when there was no such thing as cell phones. I remember the time when there was no such thing as cell phones. That was back in the day when I had like a rotary dial phone at my house. It used sparks to make contact with outer space and had a cord and it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. But in 1990, I was thinking back, in 1990, my dad got his first mobile telephone. 1990. And it came in a black bag and it had this antenna and you had to plug it into your cigarette lighter and it had this corded handset that you would hold up. You know, it wasn't cordless. You had this cord, you know, curled up and you'd talk on it. And I was really cool. In high school, I, I would steal it from him. And uh, it cost like a dollar a minute in those days to talk on a cell phone. And so nobody ever actually used it. I didn't. I just drove around looking cool with it up to my ear, <laughs> thinking I was cool. I'd go through the drive through you know. Oh, hold on. Let me get off my non-call. In 1992, I got my very own mobile telephone. And do you remember the Motorola brick phone? There's a big white thing. It's like this tall. It's like this big. And, and it, it's about eight pounds you know, this big old thing, and its claim to fame was you could throw it across the room as hard as you could, and they said it wouldn't break, and I tried it, and it didn't break. It was pretty amazing. And you'd clip it to your belt, you know, and you had this big old thing, like, waiting. People thought you were packing, you know. It's just, a, just my phone. It took two hands. Let's get more serious, the printing press. One of the greatest innovations of all time, the printing press. Movable type and so, and, you, I mean, printing, how did it revolutionize humanity? And there's sort of two that I think go sort of hand in hand, the microscope on one hand and the telescope on the other, right? The microscope to let us see teeny tiny things right here, and then the telescope that let us see teeny tiny things way, way, way out there seeing our space in the universe and so. Number nine on my list of ten, I just took ten off the list, is the wheel, Anybody remember the days before the wheel? Yeah, no. None of you were that old. But like, just think, what if we didn't have wheels? What if nobody had ever come up with the wheel? What would we do? Wow. And then last, I know you're going to laugh at me for this one, but I love this one. One of my favorites on the list, the zipper. And I'm not talking about the ride at the fair. I'm talking about the, you know, zipper, pants and backpack. And I mean, you just think about all the things in our world that we, like, zip up. Zip. This is fantastic innovation and how life would be so much different. And there's some amazing things, right? I cherry-picked 10, but if you go out on the Internet and you can find the list of 101. I'm a geek, and so I love that kind of list, and it was endlessly fascinating. If you're not geeky, you can leave it alone, but maybe you'd be fascinated by it. And, and, and just those 10 things I listed, those are like, whoa, that changes everything. Because of the zipper, or because of the aspirin, or because, like the landscape of humanity is forever altered. Society is different because someone invented, someone innovated that thing. That changes everything. And I have to say this. As different as our lives may be as a result of the 101 greatest innovations of all time, nothing, please hear me, nothing has altered the landscape of every single facet of human history from the beginning of time all the way through the end of time, as much as the resurrection, the raising from the dead of Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing even holds a candle to it. 
Jesus' resurrection from the dead has changed every single thing that you can possibly imagine. Everything. Nothing is untouched by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, so all-encompassing, so far-reaching is the impact of Jesus' resurrection that it's really, in my opinion, the only thing about which you can truly say that changes everything. It's the only thing about which you can truly say that changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it has changed everything, we're going to spend these weeks leading up to Easter talking about just some of the everything that Jesus' resurrection from the dead changes. We're calling, as you see, the series Risen. We're leveraging our friend Steve Mathewson's brand new, just released book by the same title. Lots of you know Steve and love Steve. He used to pastor here in the Gallatin Valley. Very godly man, great pastor. We love Steve and we hold him in very, very high regard. If you want to walk along through his book in this season, I'm sorry we've run out of them. The nine o'clock, bottom all out, I apologize, but we'll have more next week for you out at the information center. If you must have one like tomorrow, go to Amazon and order your own. And many people's grasp of the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It's limited to their understanding that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything just for them. But what's true is that the effect, the impact of the resurrection is so much bigger than just me or you or even, for that matter, all of humanity. But we sometimes, we just get focused on us, don't we? I've drawn this illustration for you before, but I'm going to sketch it out again because I think it helps make the point. This is God over here, and this is where he lives. He is holy, and he is perfect, and he is just and he is righteous. All that's true of God. And then here's us. I'm just going to draw a picture of me over here. And, and right out of the womb, not just me, but every single person ever born, we're marked by sin, aren't we? Like Sin is hardwired into us. And this isn't a fun thing to talk about, but it's just true. And so we do. We're marked by sin, which means that shame greatly affects us. We're guilty of our sin, of course, and ultimately, at the end of the day, because we're all tainted by sin's poison, we're destined for death. And I don't just mean physical death. I'm talking about forever eternal kind of death, like forever separated from God. And this Grand Canyon that exists between me and humanity and God. This is what I call the Grand Canyon of sin. And there's nothing any of us can do that will span this chasm of sin. Nothing. Countless people spend their entire lives trying, scratching and clawing, and I'm just going to earn my way. I'm just going to try to be good enough. And there is no way to span this divide. But God has a plan doesn't he? And it involves his one and only son, Jesus Christ. This is called the bridge illustration, by the way. For you who are co-journing with people who are far from God, I think this can be one of your greatest resources when you're sharing faith with people, because you can sketch this out in five minutes on any napkin in any coffee shop, and you can just paint the picture. Here's God, here's us, and here's how Jesus made the way, because Jesus died on the cross. He took all of this. He was buried in the grave. Then he rose from the dead. Death couldn't keep him. He's that powerful. Death could not keep him, and if you so choose, if I so choose, I can live 
today in relationship with God because of everything that Jesus did, because of his rising from the dead. I can cross over from a life of sin and shame and guilt and death into the presence and into intimate fellowship and relationship with God because of what Jesus did. And so lots of us, we've done that, right? And so here we are and we got a big smile on our face because life with God is really, really good. And we have this tendency because we're just selfish. Like just because we're in relationship with God doesn't mean all selfishness is gone. We have this tendency to go, well, I'm good because of the life and because of the death, because of the resurrection of Jesus. My standing with God has been dramatically changed. I'm good. I'm on God's side of the equation now. But what about everything else? And I'm not just talking about everyone else, everyone else, absolutely. But what even about the creation? What about all of that? What happens to that? How is that redeemed? How is that restored to rightful relationship with God? What about that? See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything and you and I we're not everything we're a big huge part of the everything but the everything is so much bigger than just us go all the way back to the very beginning of time God created all things everything good you open up the book of Genesis in your Bible sometime you can read the creation accounts and you can see that God made everything sun and moon and stars land sea plants animals humans and when he was finished with this creative genius He stood back and he said, it's what? It's good, he said. He stood back and he said, it's good. And he wasn't just talking about the people part of his creation. He wasn't just saying humanity, the human beings I made. He's saying all of it's good. God's assessment of his creation is that it's good. And that's the assessment, by the way, that really, really counts. It's God's assessment. The creator's assessment is the one that really, really counts counts and he said it's good every single bit of it is good and some of us I know we have a very low view of ourselves right some of us I know we have these tapes that play again and again and again through our head tapes that say over and over and over again whispering in our ear you're not good enough you'll never measure up you suck and we have these tapes that play again and again and again stuff people have said to us Stuff Satan's whispered in our ear time and time again, and pretty soon it's just so there we start to believe it, right? God's invitation, I think, to all of us is to check out of those tapes. Put a new tape in the tape player. Play the tape of God, the creator, the one who gave you life, the one who breathed life into you, the tape that says you're good because you are. Because God stood back from creating you, from making you, and he looked on your life, and he said, it's good. And so you don't have to stand in the mirror every morning and go, I'll never measure up. You can stand in the mirror in the morning and go, holy cow, the sovereign, supreme God of the universe, the one who made me, says, I'm good. All of creation, every bit of it is good. And God, by virtue of who he is, he lives in communal relationship with himself, you know? It's like this unique deal. He's in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
And he made us in his image, which means God created us to be relational beings as well. He marks us with his identity, where his image bears. He stamps upon every single one of us the missional calling to serve, care for, cultivate the earth, be a part of his redemptive story. It's this beautiful picture, isn't it? But we know how it goes, right? Satan, the enemy, tempts the first humans. They submit, they give in to the temptation. Darkness and evil enter the story. Human sin becomes part of the world. The Grand Canyon of sin is created. There it is. And that's a devastating event. It was devastating because it resulted in our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with creation being fractured in desperate need of restoration and redemption. The first human being's declaration of independence from God brought a curse not only on them, not only on humanity, but also upon the entire creation, the whole planet. Everything's tainted. And that curse led the Apostle Paul to write in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, the creation, all of it, looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All the creation looks forward to the day when it is in relationship with God the way God designed it to be in relationship with him. When it's freed up from the death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. as a powerful picture. If you've ever been in a delivery room, you know the groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I'm not going to play an audio tape because that'd be, you know. But creation is today groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's groaning. The very thing that God stood back from making says it's good. It's in a state of death and decay. All because of the curse. All because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. It's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. That is why we deal with stuff like floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and famines and plagues and droughts and sharks biting arms off of surfers and bears attacking hikers and I could go on and on and on. The curse is why work is so hard. Right? You have days at your job where you're like, oh my gosh. Right? Do you have these days? Am I the only one? It, it isn't necessarily just about, about the people, right? Your work is cursed. Creation is cursed. You toil against the curse every single day you go to work. And if you're a farmer, it's magnified by like 100x, right? You really toil against the curse. Creation today is bound up by death and decay. Nothing is exempt. But God has a plan, doesn't he? And his plan is as simple as it is staggering. Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, stoops down into his own creation as one of his own created beings, as a human and bears up under the curse. 
He takes it upon himself. He takes it upon the cross. He dies. He's buried in the ground. On the third day, he rises from the dead. Resurrection. And the implication of God's plan on humanity is real clear. Right? In Christ, there's salvation, forever life, heaven, new quantity of life, new quality of life, all of that. You remain on the other side of the equation, separated from God. You live under the penalty of sin forever and ever. But less than clear is what, God plan, what God's plan means for the rest of creation. What does it mean for the rest of creation? But it isn't like supposed to be a secret. God's plan for creation is no secret. Colossians 1.20, it's right here in the scripture. Through him, that's Jesus, God reconciled everything, everything means everything, to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. God didn't just abandon his good creation to death and decay. Uh-uh. He says, I promise to set creation free from all of its bondage. He pledges to restore this very broken world. And that restoration and that transformation, that, a word I love, repristination, the freeing from the curse that Paul speaks of, Romans 8.21, this one right here, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That transformation, that freeing, it's not going to come about through like evolution. It isn't going to come about through the annihilation and replacement of this creation. Absolutely not. Now some people read texts like this from 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment looking forward to the day of God, hurrying it along. On that day, he, that's God, will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Some people read passages like those and say, well, God's plan for setting creation free from its bondage is to wipe all of this out and start all over again. Uh-uh. God steps back, remember, from his creation and he says it's good. And he's not going to wipe out what's good and start all over again. It's transformation instead. He's going to transform this present universe so that it fulfills the purpose God created it for. God decrees, his own, his very own decrees have established the earth forever. And yes, some of you are thinking of this right now, the flood. God did choose to destroy with the flood. But after the flood, he makes this everlasting covenant, not just with humanity, but with all the living creatures on the earth from Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Look at what he says. I will never again destroy all living things. I will never again destroy all living things. That's not just a covenant pledge limited to flooding. I will never again destroy all living things. It gets to the nature of who God is at his very core. And who God is will not allow Satan's plot to ever win the day. God's creation is not lost, nor will it be lost, simply because of Satan's wiles. Ephesians 1.10, it could not be more clear. This is the plan. We like that, right? Just tell me the plan. Well, here it is. 
At the right time, he will bring, that's God will bring, everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. Only made possible because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. His rising changed everything. And get this, in Christ we actually find the whole pattern for the new creation. We find the pattern for our own resurrection. We find the pattern for the renewal of this earth. And what you have to understand, I really want you to get this, is that Jesus wasn't just resuscitated when he came back from the... That's what Jesus did miraculously with his buddy Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus died and his friends and family are so upset and they come to Jesus and Jesus weeps and and he raises him from the dead, right? Jesus resuscitated Lazarus. Now what really sucks for Lazarus is he had to die two times, right? He died again, as if the first time wasn't hard enough. Later, I don't know how much later, but he had to die again. He was resuscitated. Jesus wasn't merely resuscitated. In Christ, death was destroyed. Understand that. The body was glorified in the resurrection, which means that the transition from old creation to new creation, it's not about loss of identity, it's about change of state, old to new, bondage to freedom, death to life. Now, we're USA Americans, aren't we? When something's usefulness is questionable, when something in our world is damaged or broken or at the, near the end of its useful life, what do most of us, honest moment, what do most of us do with those things? We throw them in the garbage, don't we? Out with the old, and we go to Walmart and we buy a new one. And if Walmart doesn't have it, well, then it doesn't exist. But that's not how it works the world over. I know this because I've been to garbage dumps in the United States of America, and I've been to garbage dumps in places like Ethiopia. And the difference in what you find in a garbage dump in the United States versus what you find in a garbage dump in Ethiopia could not be starker. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about here? Now, I've never actually done this, and so you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think that it's entirely possible that any of us could go out today to the landfill at Logan and we could manage to set up, probably set up pretty well, an entire household with what other people have discarded. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think you'd probably set up a pretty nice household. Really, somebody threw that away? Oh my goodness. You just start collecting all that oh my goodness stuff and pretty soon you got yourself a household. That's just what we do. If it's even sort of moderately, cosmetically broken, we're like, ah, I'm not going to bother with trying to fix it or I'm not going to look at that ugly thing. Just throw it away. Sometimes it's moderately broken and we think it's more expensive to fix and it's just to throw it out. By, it's just what we do, right? But you go to a garbage dump in Ethiopia, there's nothing, I mean nothing useful there. Nothing useful. Anything that has even an inkling of usefulness or life left in it is scooped up by someone somewhere along the trash collection system, if you could even call it that and they put it to use. Maybe it still works for its intended purpose, cool. Or maybe they modify what it's used for, they repurpose it 
And you should see the innovation that comes out of that. Whoa. Staggering. And see, our typical system of operating where we throw a bunch of stuff away, toss it, we'll just get a new one. That's not how God operates. God's way of going from old to new is about restoration. It's about setting free. It's about renewing that that's broken, wrecked, spoiled, damaged. And God does that with you and I. He doesn't just throw us away and make a new one. What does he do? He restores and he sets free. He renews. And the same thing applies to the creation. He's going to restore it. He's going to set it free. He's going revive the new creation. See, it's merely the original creation living in freedom. All made possible by Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. And one day, get this, Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back that time to judge the world. And on that day, all injustice ends. Imagine what that will be like. No more injustice. Every one of us, we experience it day in and day out. And imagine a day that's coming where there is no more injustice. All because Jesus rose from the dead. On that day, Jesus is going to finally restore all things to God's original intent. God on that day is going to reclaim the world. He will rule forever. And on that day, the creation's groaning ceases. The creation's groaning ceases on that day. All of creation will be restored. God dwells with us right here. Swords that we use to fight with one another, they'll be beat into tools for cultivating the earth on that day. The wolf, and I use this language very intentionally, the wolf on that day will lie down with the lamb. Or if you'd rather, the wolf on that day will lie down with the elk. On that day, there will be no more death. And get this, on that day, God himself wipes away your tears. No more tears. And our relationships on that day with God and others in creation are finally going to be made whole. Everything will flourish as God intends it to flourish. All because Jesus was raised from the dead. It changes everything. And that's the day we hope for. That's the day we long for. And in the meantime, All of us are invited to give our lives to living out that future reality now. To turning back the groaning now because sometimes, well, sometimes the groaning is just too much, isn't it?
groaning is other. It's, it's not language. It isn't made up of, of cognitive thought. It's, it's soulish. Groaning is the wrenching, twisting, colliding of the soul against the brokenness of this world that heaves and escapes, sending thundering waves through bodies made of flesh and clay. It's the reaching out, the grasping, the clawing until fingers are bloody for heaven. No, not for heaven for God, demanding, where are you? How much longer can't you see that I need you? But the soul of humanity has not groaned alone. All of creation groans with it. The colliding of the glaciers, sending eerie cries toward heaven. The convulsing of rock as earthly plates grind past one another. The thundering roars of the avalanche as it wipes out everything in its path. All flailing, all roaring, all crying. It is wrong, all is not right. Do not be gone from us forever. But creation and humanity have not grown alone. Jesus groaned. His groaning tore the temple curtain, split apart the earth, ripped the sun from the sky and threw the world into darkness. Father, don't leave me. Don't turn your back on me now. Together, I'll heave and grasp, twist and reach for God. But just as creation did not begin with groaning, it will not end with groaning. The resurrection changed it all. With the resurrection, Jesus, the light of hope, broke into creation's darkest days, quelling groans and answering cries for God to draw near, whispering, And soon, there will be no more groaning, and no more crying, and no more tears. you to take your stuff and set it aside and just move into a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord, maybe metabolize some of the things with him that we've been talking about together. You can move into a posture of prayer now. And as you go there, it seems the question that God would have for every one of us would be, are you stewarding God's dominion well? today because that's what this planet is it's God's dominion right now it sort of lives in this land between 
because Jesus has risen from the dead, it's been set free already, but he hasn't come back yet, so it's not quite yet. It's already, but not yet, free. How are you being a good steward of God's dominion now? How are you watching and how are you discerning and how are you praying and how are you serving and how are you seeking for God's reign to be reality through your life here and now? If you believe to the core of your being that God isn't just going to wipe all this out and start over again, how would you live differently? How would you take care of the creation right now? The other thing I think that's going on is that right here, right now, God's inviting those of us who have not yet taken the step of saving faith in Jesus Christ, he's inviting us to do that today. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, he's inviting you into his resurrection life now. He's inviting you into his story. He's inviting you to be set free from the penalty of your sin. He's inviting you to step into the mission that he made you for. And if God's working on your heart in that way, you can take that bold step of trusting him with your whole heart, your whole life by praying along with me. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner. I see that left side of the equation, the bridge illustration, and I just see me. And I've been trying real hard to be good enough to try to earn my way to you, and I see that that is never gonna happen. So Jesus, what I'm declaring to you once and for all is that I need you. I require you, Jesus, to be my savior once and for all. And I'm all done striving to try to earn it, to try to be good enough. And Jesus, I'm coming into relationship with God the only way that it's possible through you. And so here's my heart and here's my life. Here's everything I am. And here's all my gratitude as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for living. Thank you for showing me what it looks like to live inside of your kingdom. Thank you for showing me what it looks like to bring your kingdom to the planet. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for taking all my sin and all my guilt and all my shame and all my death upon you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking it into the ground, for being buried on my behalf. And then, Jesus, thank you that death, hell, and the grave could not keep you. Thank you for rising. I trust you with my everything. Here I am. And if you're a person who today is stepping into the saving faith of Jesus Christ, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. You'll make a whole bunch of decisions in your life. You've made a whole bunch up to this point, but that's the biggest one, the most weighty, the most significant one. And it's such a big deal that around here we like to acknowledge when you make that decision. 
And I want you to know, heads are bowed, eyes are closed all across this room. This is a private moment, you, me, and God. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus, would you just be really brave right now? And would you slip your hand up and would you lock eyes with me? You can do that right now. You're saying yes to Jesus in the back, yes, absolutely, yes, sir. It's a big day in your life, like a hinge. Everything else in your life swings on this day. Way to go. And here, absolutely, yes, same deal, hinge day. The most weighty day of your life right here. Way to go. Just make sure I catch your eye, would you please? And yeah, yeah. Oh Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that you're bringing right now into these lives. We thank you for the reality that they're crossing over from death to life in you because of you, Jesus. Thanks for making that possible. And Jesus, we also thank you that you have this terrific plan that you're unfolding even for your creation. That you're not just abandoning it, but that you're in the process of redeeming it back to you. It's already, but it's not yet. And Jesus, that we would live in that tension with you. And that you would make us your hands and feet redemptively with people in our lives, absolutely, as well as with the creation. Give us eyes and ears to see and hear what you would have us see and hear to that end. We declare that we are yours and we declare, Jesus, that your resurrection changed everything. And we're part of that. Thanks for letting us be part of that.